Today's video was recorded on December 12th, 2023. Today's lesson is part of our Bible 101 series in which we're exploring what we know as the Great Commission. In this lesson, we're going to look at the word baptizing as it shows up in the Great Commission and then in the context of making a disciple. How do we understand that word baptizing and how can we apply this idea to our own walk with Jesus? And I think you'll find this enlightening. Now, I want to give you one logistical note on how you can support this ministry. And to do this, let me give you a little bit of history. So Amazon used to have a program through the Amazon Foundation, and it was called Amazon Smile. And through Amazon Smile, the foundation would make donations to qualified nonprofits. So Amazon shoppers were able to designate those nonprofits that had signed up for the program. Now, I know many of you are familiar with this program because so many churches and schools and ministries were involved. Everybody I knew was designating somebody through the SMILE program that they can support. In fact, Figtree, we used to receive a donation from Amazon Foundation every quarter because of those supporters who had designated us as their preferred nonprofit. Well, this past year, Amazon decided to end this program, and this left a lot of organizations out of these regular donations. The program ended on February 20th, 2023. Now, what's happened since then is that many nonprofits have now turned to being involved in the Amazon Affiliate Program. Now, this is not the same as the Amazon Foundation, but it does allow a way for those who want to support different ministries to do so just like before while you're using Amazon for your regular shopping. So if you use Amazon for any shopping, we would ask that you consider accessing Amazon through the Figtree portal that's on our website. It's very easy. And when you access through the link on our website, you'll open to your own Amazon account, but it'll have a code designated in the link and it'll say that it came through the Figtree website. And so this ends up being a way to support the ministry while doing your shopping at Amazon. So please don't let your shopping experience on Amazon go to waste. You can directly support this ministry while doing your regular shopping. And as I said before, you'll find a section on our website, figtreeteaching.com. It describes this, what's happening at Amazon, and then it provides the link. And that link will take you directly into Amazon, your own account. We so appreciate all of your continued support. This is just one other way that you can help this ministry grow. And it's a way that you can partner with us to continue on our mission of providing biblical education to the world. Now, let's get back to the lesson, though, the lesson at hand, and this is about the concept of baptizing and what it means in the context of making a disciple. So, enjoy today's lesson. So, we're going to be continuing on here in our series. This is part number four of our series on the Great Commission. This lesson, we're going to be looking at the meaning of baptism. How do we understand that word? Are we using it correctly? Do we have the right meaning and conception applied to that based on the context? This is our Bible 101 series. And again, we're looking at the Great Commission. 
We'll start off with a quick review. It's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And what we've done over the past few weeks is we've said, okay, what are the verbs? And there are four verbs in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So therefore go, or having gone, there's a bit of past tense in here. Make disciples, baptizing, and teaching, both with ing. We'll look at that tonight. So what we've noted is of the four verbs, there's three of them are participles. And then the main one, the main verb is right here, make disciples. That's the imperative. And so when we talk about a commandment of Jesus, we need to look at in the verses, where is the imperative? Where's the command? What is the command? Make disciples. So you can see what's happening is we read the verses and the emphasis ends up being on go. So it's a matter of how we read the verse, not how we translate it into English. We can get that correct. It's now, do we read it with the correct emphasis on what Jesus is telling us to do? Okay, so last week then we asked the question, what is a disciple? And we noted some things about disciple or discipleship. The first is that it's a process. And when we think about process, it means it's happening over time. It's not a one-time event. In this case, it happens to be a long-term process. So if we go to the context of first century Judaism, Jesus and his disciples, you're talking like a 15-plus year process. And this was the rabbi-disciple model there in first century Israel. And that's a critical model that we have to take into consideration. Now. The second part of this is, the whole part of being a disciple is a transformational process. You grow, you change, you're being molded by the Holy Spirit, little by little. And your transformation is happening at the level of your soul. We are embodied souls. We are souls that have a body, and the soul is malleable, meaning forces can work on it. And so, you then... You are either being formed by the forces of the world, or you're participating in the forming of it. And so we even refer to this within scholarly circles as spiritual formation. So there is no static position in life. Forces are always working in your soul. And the idea within Christianity, within becoming a disciple, is you're being very intentional about forming your soul. What is your soul going to be formed into? It's the idea of becoming Christ-like. You allow the Holy Spirit to work. You follow the leading, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and your soul becomes just like Jesus. And you become then the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Now, if we think about this idea of the rabbi-disciple model, what Jesus does is he takes that rabbi-disciple model. And he says, okay, now look, now that I'm going to be ascending into the heavens, seated at the right hand of God, the Christ, I'm the, the heavenly man, the perfect soul against, you know, Jesus, he's the perfect soul against whom all other souls are judged. He's the standard. And so, He is the judge of humanity. That's what the Bible tells us over and over again. All of us will be judged against a sinless 
soul. So he's the heavenly man, the cosmic Christ, the one who reigns and against which, against whom we are judged. And then what you do is you then, in a very intentional way, you set your sights on becoming just like that soul, Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, now, are you ever going to get to the point of being sinless? No. But you can move a lot in your soul into that spiritual formation of being just like Jesus. But it takes time. It has to be lived out as you're doing it. And so in the end, we don't simply have a convert to Christianity. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And that, in fact, it's the first step, recognizing Jesus as Lord. But from there, becoming a disciple is transforming to be just like Jesus. And so that in the most difficult of times, you're responding just like he would. So that's making a disciple. And that's what the command is that Jesus is giving us. Now, tonight, what we're going to look at is this one right here. It's a participle. And we're going to say, what is baptizing? What does that word mean in the context of that sentence, which is all about making disciples? Okay? So, baptizing, I-N-G ending, it's a present active participle. And I want to be clear on this. You can translate the underlying Greek into baptizing, and that doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's not necessarily wrong that you can translate it baptizing, and that isn't wrong. What happens, though, is what happens when we see the word baptizing, and we ask, what does that mean? So, when we see the word baptize or baptism, we tend to think sacrament. And this could be the act of immersion or the sprinkling of a child or an adult in water as part of a sacramental ritual. But the word baptize has a range of meanings, and that's what we're going to be looking at in this lesson. And the meaning that we have to derive from that Greek word is always based on context. And so in this lesson, what I'm going to do, and in fact this whole series, is I'm suggesting a different English word. So instead of a translation of baptizing, which tends to point us towards the sacrament, use a word like immersing. Now, immersing doesn't completely solve our problem, but it may drive us in the direction of a more proper meaning. Okay, so basically it's this. The Bible can use the word baptism or baptize, and it doesn't have to mean the sacrament of baptism that we know. Okay, so the word baptism has what's called a semantic range, a range of possible meanings. What happens is it's up to the reader or the hearer to decide how you translate that. And this is so true, particularly of Hebrew. Biblical Hebrew, but in many ancient languages, they have significantly fewer words. Biblical Hebrew has about 6,000 words. In modern English, we have 176,000 words. We have words for everything. And so in Hebrew, every word has multiple meanings based on the context. 
and that broad range of meaning, it's up to the listener to choose the correct meaning based on the context of what's being said. Actually, it's pretty cool as we, we've done some videos on certain Hebrew words because you can explore the, the entire range of meaning of that word, and they're very often connected in a, in a profound way. So there's a semantic range. If we look at this idea of baptism and immersion, one way to think about it is on a time scale. So we can think from short term to long term. And the general idea of short term to long term is something about submerging or immersing. It's always about the immersion or the su submerging of something. Now, on the very short side, the meaning could be to dip. Very quickly, you dip something, you dip bread into a dish. On the long term, the word for baptism is very often used when talking about dyed fabric or the process of dyeing fabric, meaning something is submerged for a longer period of time in the process of dyeing fabric. Okay, so that's our range, and we have to decide going to the um, this verse in Matthew, what's the context? Where along that range should we think about this word for baptizing? Okay, so here's our roadmap for this lesson. We're going to talk about participles in present active, so a present active participle. We need to understand that a bit. We're going to look at the historical Greek usage. So all of the Greek writers using this word, even into the first century with the Roman historian Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian Josephus. We'll take that Greek usage, and then we'll go to the New Testament. So we'll say, what are the variations within the New Testament of how the word for baptism is used? And then we'll talk about, what about in the context of making a disciple? Okay? So this is our roadmap. Now, we'll start with baptizing as a present active participle. And so, if we just pull out one little portion right here, and we say, in, in this lesson, they're learning about present participles, okay? It communicates imperfect aspect. And then it says, however, the participle's time depends on the main verb. So time issue, it's going to pick up the main verb. And then it says this, as a result, this is a present active participle. They communicate an action that occurs during the main verbs action. So they communicate action that occurs during the main verbs action. So if our main verb is to make a disciple, then the baptizing, which is why you get the ing ending, is occurring during that, meaning it's it's happening over time because making a disciple happens over time. Okay? Now, uh, by the way, I'll put the links to, to all of these places where I'm pulling uh, definitions. I'll put the links below. This was a website called Bible Arc. Again, link will be below in the description section. But let's look at then, what about present active participle? So if you just Google present active participle, you'll find a whole bunch of examples, but what they basically talk about 
is it's the ing form of a verb. So the present active participle is often translated as the ing form of the verb. So baptizing. What are we doing while making a disciple? We are baptizing. It's a, it goes on over the period of time of making a disciple. So there's something continuous. There's a continuous action happening. And then we're baptizing them into, not in the name of, like we just make a pronouncement, the word is into. Oh, we're baptizing, we're, we're immersing them into something. What is it? The name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time event. Now, there is a sacrament that's a one-time event. I get that. And it's a wonderful sacrament. This isn't a class on baptism. It's how it's used in the Great Commission. But this is a continuous process while making a disciple. So it can't be referring to the sacrament, that ritual, at conversion. Somebody entering the Christian community. So the Catholic Church, they baptize a child because it's entering the Christ, that community. And then when somebody in other faith practices, someone says, I want to be baptized, they're making a decision. It's the idea of entering that Christian community. But that's the baptism of sacrament. Okay, so it's a present active participle. Now, let's talk about how the, historically uh, it was used in Greek writings. So this is Greek usage. Now, I'm getting this from, just so you know, if you're looking for the reference where this is coming from, it's called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. This is a huge, massive work. If you bought it book by book, it's 10 volumes. It gives you the background, the theological use, what Hebrew word these are used for. It's every Greek word in the New Testament. This is a ton of information. And it will often bring out the many nuances that you find within these uh, ancient languages. And these nuances can be difficult to translate into English any other language for that matter. So, when they look at, within Greek literature, how was that Greek word traditionally used? Okay, you'd say, to die. This is one of the main ways, to die, to die material. So, it's a dying. It's, again, you're submerging or immersing, but it's in the process of dying. Okay? And as I mentioned, the Jewish-Roman historian Josephus, who's writing in the latter half of the first century, he uses the word, but he only uses it in the sense to die or dyed material. Okay? So the overall meaning is to immerse or immersion of something, just like dying fabric is to immerse fabric, to cause it to be immersed into some agent which is going to dye the material. Um. They also use it for, like, the idea of submerging, so it's used in a shipwreck. It can also be used within the idea of being overwhelmed. It's a baptism of uh, faults or sickness or desires or whatever it is, whatever you, you feel like you're being overwhelmed with, you can use that word. And then finally, to dip something. Now, if you notice from this list, what's missing? 
Well, it wasn't used in Greek language to talk about the ritual immersion that we do. So it isn't like there was this word baptize out there in the Greek language that, that was only used for this ritual of going through. It all has to do with immersion or being overwhelmed by something or to dip something. And then the New Testament writers, those brand new Christians within that Greco-Roman world, use the word baptism for this, not only what John the Baptist was doing, but then the ritual that comes out of it. So it, it's what scholars call a technical term. So you have a word, a Greek word, that ultimately means all of this, to die, to immerse, to overwhelm, that takes on technical meaning, something different than original. And today, when we say baptism, we think of the sacrament. So now, that's the Greek usage. Now let's go to the New Testament usage and say, okay, if we just look at our New Testament, well, how is this word? What's the range of meaning? Well, so first of all, we have to dip. This is a very short term, right? So John 13, 26, here's an example of it. This is Jesus at the Last Supper. He's talking about Judas is going to betray him. And then he says, well, how are we going to know? Or they say, how, we, how are we going to know which one? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped it, or when he had dipped the piece of bread, then he gives it to Judas. So right there you have bapto, the word that means dipped, short term. Okay? Then you have in uh, the book of Revelation, you have a reference to dye or dye material. Some of the, most of the translations say blood. It's talking about the cloth. It says it was been dipped in blood, but it's really the idea of dyeing cloth, the color of the cloth. So that's in the book of Revelation. Um, here's an interesting one. If you just think of the idea of immersing or being submerged, but in a way that's overwhelming. Okay, this is Mark 10, 38. And this one is, I think, the big one to say, look, it really depends on the context of the sentence. Um, so Mark 38, let's look at that one. What's happening here is John and James are saying to Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand when your kingdom comes. Now, they're not talking, they're thinking the kingdom here on earth. When your kingdom comes, we want to be the ones with you. Jesus then, he has to correct them. And he says to them, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says this, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Now, what is he talking about here? Is that a literal cup or is the cup a figure of speech? And I think obviously we would recognize it's a figure of speech. What's the cup? What cup is Jesus going to have to drink? It's the cup of God's wrath. It's a cup of suffering. If you think about in the, uh, in the garden, before his, when Jesus is having this realization of what is about to happen to him the next day with the crucifixion, Father, if you can take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. Now, the next is a, is a parallel statement. So instead of cup, we have the word baptize and baptism. 
mean, it's almost, it's, it's hard to read here. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism, baptism that I am baptized with? So we find the word three times in that sentence. Now, is what Jesus talking about here, is he talking about the sacrament? Clearly not. This is obviously has to do with suffering. If you look at the New Living Translation, they add in the word suffering to point out that when he's talking about, he's talking about a baptism of suffering. And so here the word, well, it's not wrong, but there's a nuance to it, right? It has to be, it has to be the idea of being submerged or an overwhelming amount of suffering. It's overwhelming suffering. It's a full immersion into suffering. Now, our translators generally decided to keep the word baptize or baptism instead of immersion. Okay? So, it can mean immerse to uh, submerge to overwhelm. And then finally, the final one is simply the sacrament, the, of the, the sacramental ritual that we have of baptism. So you can see there's a wide range, and they would have a time component from not only dipping short-term to dying longer-term to the immersion or being overwhelmed with suffering. How you understand the word, what the meaning is, or the conception that's around it is going to be dependent on context. So it's important that we do that. So that's the New Testament usage. Now, let's talk about it then in the context of disciple-making. So, if we take Matthew 28, 19, what's the context for baptizing, I-N-G, which is that active uh, verb, participle, that is happening during the making of disciples? So, if we go there, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, therefore go, and make disciples, there's our main verb, of all nations. Uh, it would be not all nations, because you don't baptize and you don't make a disciple out of a nation. You, you make a disciple out of those from other nations. So, not just for uh, Israel. This isn't Jesus is the Christ for all people. He's the heavenly man for all creation. So, it's people from all nations. And what are we going to do? You're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, the whole point here is we have this idea of baptizing something that's going on in the process of then making a disciple. Okay? And so, if we were to look at that in context, we might translate it differently. And this is the one that I've brought out uh, repeatedly. I would say, therefore, go from here, which is, gives a little bit more of the past tense, and make disciples of people from all nations. There, you're discipling people, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. We are immersing them into something longer term. Why? Because this is what we're doing. We're making disciples, and the immersing goes right along with that main verb. 
Okay, so let me illustrate here. I'm going to offer a couple different illustrations that I think will help. And we could call this pickling a disciple. How can we understand baptizing as that present active participle in the process of making a disciple? Well, one word might be pickling. Okay, so if we go back to our baptism and immersion, you can think about it in that context of time, from short-term to long-term. Overall, the idea is about being submerged or immersed into something. In the short term, we can call it to dip. That's used uh, in, in John. In the longer term, it's used in Greek language for dyeing fabric or fabric that's been dyed. And then you'd say, okay, well, what, what about now within Christianity? Well, we do have short term and long term. Our sacrament is short term. But in the context of making a disciple, it's long term because the process is long term. So on the sacrament, we dip something. But in the disciple making, you're immersing them throughout that process of making a disciple, just like dyeing fabric. So if we look at this and we say, what happens when we're dyeing fabric? Yes. So we have a white t shirt and we want to make it red. We want to dye it red. And we have some kind of dyeing agent. It's got the color red, but then it's got an agent in it that's going to help it um, adhere to the T-shirt. So the T-shirt then gets immersed, baptized into this dyeing agent that causes the color to over time adhere, right, to this fabric. You need an agent to do that. And honestly, this is a little bit gross when you think about it. In the first century, in the Roman Empire, they, of course, dyed cloth all the time. And the agent that is used, you can look this up, in the dyeing process is human urine. And now this does not sound like a fun job, and perhaps they use slaves for this, but you would collect human urine to go for the people who are doing the dyeing, and that became part of the agent that's going to cause the coloring to adhere to the material. Now, thankfully, we've moved on from that. The point is this. Now that you've left that white t-shirt in the dye over a period of time, and it comes out of the dye, now you have something that has been permanently changed. You cannot go back to the white t-shirt. The agent, the dying agent, has caused it to be permanently changed. Okay, so that's one example. And you can see from the ancient Greek usage of the word baptism, that's what it's used for, for dying. Now, another one. Are you being pickled? Are you, as a disciple, being pickled? Well, what does that mean? Well, look, we have the same concept. You start with a cucumber, yes? And you have some kind of pickling agent. And if you take that cucumber and you dunk it into the pickling agent and then you immediately take it right back out, short term, like to dip, well, what do you end up with? 
We have a wet cucumber, but it's still a cucumber. What do we do in a pickling process? You immerse that cucumber into that agent, the pickling agent, and over time what happens is it starts to change. It was like the changing the very being of the cucumber so that eventually what comes out of it is a pickle. And now you have a permanent change. You cannot go back to being a cucumber. That agent of change has so thoroughly worked on the base of that cucumber, the makeup of that cucumber, that it is now called a pickle. And it is something completely different. Okay? I'll show you, uh, I'll show you an example. from. Uh, there, there is an example from uh, ancient Greece about this idea. Now, let's talk disciples. What are we doing? We have a convert. Okay, start with the individual. Now, step one in the process of becoming like Jesus is some conversion, the recognition of who Jesus is, the entering of the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it, being born again. Now, in this, with the convert, with that conversion process, right, that can include the sacrament of baptism. Again, not a class on baptism, but baptism is so powerful for the regeneration of the Spirit. It simulates, well, it simulates more than one thing, but the chaotic waters of the beginning. It's death, resurrection into a new life. You die into those chaotic waters, just like Genesis 1, to have a new creation coming out of it, a new life. But that's, the sacrament is just a step. Now we're going to go to the disciple-making process. And we're going to take that convert and someone who chooses to go down the path to be just like Jesus. And now we're going we're gonna to do a long-term immersion. And we're going to take this convert and we're going to immerse them into something. And that's what the Greek word says, into. What are we baptizing into? What's our agent? It's in the name of the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's taking the individual and surrounding them, immersing them in a community of people who are just like Jesus and are going to help them grow in that process. Just like Paul says, look, you're a brand new convert. You don't know the path yet. You haven't done this long enough. You haven't grown. So just follow me. If you don't know what to do, follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Eventually, you'll grow and you'll be so solid, you'll be doing this on your own. Okay, by the way, our agent of change is the reality of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's how we could think about the idea of name of. Now, by the way, you can check out, um, this is an amazing commentary, the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern. Check it out. I mean, it's really, it is well worth it. So this is a really good, he's Messianic Jew, but this is an excellent commentary. And when you get to Matthew uh, 28, 19, his translation is the reality of, immerse them into the reality of. Okay, so what do we do with our convert? Well, we immerse them. We've got a container. It's filled with the reality of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And over a long period of time, just like that t-shirt that's being dyed, just like that pickle, they now change and they grow. And when they come out, and now 
they're a fully formed, mature. Notice Paul talks about maturity in faith. Uh, The writer of Hebrews talks about maturity in faith. When you're a new believer, you're like a baby and we need to feed you baby food. But eventually you're going to mature and you're going to grow up and you're going to understand these things better. You're going to be a, a mature disciple. And that mature disciple looks like Jesus in their very being. Why? Because they were immersed into the reality of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, which changes it. Your soul is malleable, forms your soul to be just like Jesus. And when you then go out into the world and you show up in the world as a fully formed, mature disciple of Jesus, you're a force to be reckoned with because you will not be swayed and you will not be easily bamboozled and you will not be easily uh, influenced by all of the world around you. This is a great example. Again, the link will be below in the, in the, the description section. This is from a, um, a Greek dictionary, Bible dictionary, talking about the words for baptism. Okay, so you can see to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, like a vessels that have been sunk. So there's a whole bunch of stuff to overwhelm. That's there, number three. So that's the outline of biblical usage. But look at this, because this is a great example of what is happening here. So it says the word for baptism is not to be confused with bapto. Bapto is the shorter term. And then here's what he, he says. The clearest example that shows us the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander. Now, Nicander lived about 200 B.C. Now it says, it is a recipe for making pickles, and it is helpful because it uses both words. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water. So there's our first one, short term, dipped, and then baptized in vinegar solution. So notice, short term, when you're making a pickle, short term, into boiling water, followed by long-term in the vinegar solution. That's the change agent. Now, this author goes on to say, both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces permanent change. And that's what we're looking for, that permanent change. Now, he goes on to say, that when the New Testament uses this word, it more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to the water baptism. Uh, Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, does that mean the ritual of baptism? No. Salvation comes through the process of being immersed. I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. It's a process over time. You don't just make a decision, that's not enough. You have to go through real-life change. That's how you become in union with Christ, just like a pickle. It's permanent change. So when we go back to this and we say, how do we make disciples? We immerse them into the long-term the reality of the Father, 
the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the change agent. Okay? Now, a couple weeks ago, I put up this example, and it's a depiction of how we have to think about when we're making a translation from one language, the original language, that's Greek, into English. But then you have to interpret it. You have to derive meaning from it. And then, with that meaning, comes to a conceptualization. What does that mean in practice? How do we think about that? So it's not just, some people just say, hey, look, take the Greek and put it into English. It's not that easy. So you can say, look, we can translate it right here. And translating isn't wrong, but we have to think about then, okay, interpretation, that has to do with context. Meaning has to do with the context. What are we attempting to do? What's the main verb? Make a disciple. Then we have to conceptualize. Well, now we need an illustration to conceptualize what this word baptizing means. And the, probably the best conceptualization is either dying, as in dying cloth, that takes a long period of time and makes a permanent change, or to pickle. That our sacrament is a dipping, and there is efficacy in it, no doubt. But it's not the same as becoming a disciple and you're immersed for the long period of time, like a pickle, so that you are permanently changed. You cannot come back. Now, like I said, you know, I'm suggesting that immersion would be better, but that still doesn't solve our issue because, you know, someone could say, yes, we immerse, we fully immerse underwater. It's like, yeah, but we're missing the time component. It takes time. And then the change agent. And then watching somebody, the whole community, encouraging someone as along that path of change, which is not easy, by the way, to make those changes. So it's a full lifelong event. Okay, so what did we talk about? Well, baptizing, I-N-G, it's present, active, participle, meaning the action is happening while the main verb is taking place. We're baptizing, immersing, while we're making a disciple. We looked at the Greek usage, and then we said, okay, how's it used in the New Testament? And then how do we understand within the context of making a disciple what that word, or how do we think about baptize and baptizing? And all too often, we go right back to what we, the ritual, the sacrament that we know, instead of thinking about the long-term process. And folks, I can tell you, honestly, I've been in churches that make a lot of converts. And that, that expression that they're a mile wide and an inch deep, and sometimes those converts become zealous, and they're well-intentioned, and they create all kinds of problems because they haven't been pickled. They haven't been immersed. They haven't allowed time to pass. They haven't grown to become more mature. And a church that will take a convert in and say, look, you have, to, you have to adjust your expectations. This is going to take 10, 15 years. And everybody's at their own level and everybody moves at their own pace. But everybody can walk that path to become more and more like Jesus every single day through the, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to open up ourselves to allow the Spirit to work. We have to create a vision of what it is we're moving towards. That's, that's our telos, as Paul would call it. And then you have a community of people who are just like Jesus who are helping you along that path. And one day you'll turn around and you'll help somebody else. And that's the long-term path of baptizing a disciple.